This is episode 293 of the Wrestling Brethren podcast on the march to 300. I'm your host, Josh Wiener, and on this episode, it's Flashback Friday, as we take you back to episode 251, where we discuss the exciting results of AEW All Out. Tickets go on sale today for the 2022 All Out event. Next week, we will be back with a new episode as we preview and predict Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor 19 and the 2022 Wrestling Brethren Draft commences. Hey, OJ Will, get us started. What up? This is Josiah Williams, and you're listening to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast, where wrestling and pop culture collide. Yeah. Brethren Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Wiener. Tonight is episode 251. With me tonight are Seth Zillman and Jared Aubrey. Fellas, how the hell are you? Well, it's been uh, an interesting week of wrestling. I know we're going to talk about the event that you and I both attended, though not together technically. We were in the same building, but that's about it. And uh, it's a good time of the year with the PWI 500. I think if you go to look over the last seven to eight days, you got to think it's like AEW four, WWE zero, and let's get into it. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was that AEW one. Christmas, but I'm okay <laughs> with four zip too. <laughs> so before we kick off anything, I just had a thought, uh, Seth. Since you were on the 100 level, you got to tell me because I got to know for future planning. Are the rows narrow on the 100 level, or do you have some leg room? Because we were cramped up in the 200 level, and uh, if if I'm going to another event at the Now Arena, I'm spending the extra money to have some leg room. Do you have leg room down there? Uh, it felt it felt pretty much the same. I mean, uh, I can't remember the last time I sat in the upper deck there. Actually, it was probably the. Um, Actually, when when we went, it was the upper deck, wasn't it? Three years ago. Yeah. Okay. I, it didn't really feel much different. So, uh, but that that that's just shooting from the hip. So it's, it it probably felt the same. Blah. All right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. Uh, before we get to all out, we are going to discuss what was revealed earlier this week, which was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated 500, but the top 10, because I believe this was a busted open exclusive on Sirius XM where they gave out the top five. I want to say on that show, because I don't think the actual physical issue or the digital copy issue has even been released yet. Maybe it has between Wednesday and today. I'm not sure. But, Seth, let's go over the top 10 of the PWI 500. There's going to be some surprising names here. Uh, and I would say that perhaps the most surprising would be at number 10, who is Rich Swan. I mean, obviously... On a national level, people probably remember him most for being uh, he was the like a cruiserweight champion for a long running time. That was that was the belt he held longest, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he won the Impact Championship 
and he was actually the guy that uh, Kenny Omega beat to become the Impact Champion. So I, he was the Impact Champion. I think you know, kind of a my word, not theirs, but kind of a King of the Indies type thing. You know, he was one of those guys that got really in demand after leaving WWE. Uh, so I don't know if you guys had any opinions on Swan being at, being a ten. I haven't been watching Impact much lately, so I can't really comment. I just know that he was the champion up until uh, Kenny Omega won it. Yeah, I, I I don't know if this is my anti. I can't even say anti Impact because it's not fair, and they they have improved a lot. But I could probably give you ten to twenty names that should be slotted above Rich Swan, but. That obviously that's my opinion, but he was Impact World Champion during the you know deadlines, the start and the cutoffs. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just don't think he was that good to be in the top ten. But again, that's my personal preference. Yeah, he's certainly not a name that I would tend to think of when I start thinking of the top ten wrestlers in the world. But um, no, I don't have a vote in this. So does my opinion really matter? I guess not. Now, for those that may not know, I mean, it's it kind of been the same thing with the PWI 500 for, for decades. It is 100% a worked list. It's a gimmick. You know, it's, it, uh, I hear every year, you know, people like Dave Meltzer object to guys being in certain areas, but I think some people, they try to put in match quality and performances and all that. I don't think PWI does that. When they rank their 500, they base it on matches one, like a one loss record, championship titles, quality of, uh, of opposition, quality of opponents and such. I think that's what factors in more than the actual match quality. Number nine, I don't expect you guys to know the name, but that is Shingo Takagi. He is the current IWGP world heavyweight champion. And uh, he is one of those that came into New Japan as part of uh, Los Ingobernables de Japan uh, as a light heavyweight or as a junior heavyweight. So he's the equivalent of a guy that was thought of as a cruiserweight winning the heavyweight title. But he was like, when he was fighting the other junior heavyweights, he was bigger. But now that he's in the heavyweight division, he's usually smaller than the guys he's facing. He's that type of uh, build. But that's probably why he's number nine is he's the, current IWGP champion. Uh, Number eight, probably because of his NXT run, I would imagine, is Finn Balor. uh, Because he had the NXT title up uh, earlier this year, didn't he? Yeah, he was was champion for the majority of the... I think it's... I think it's... It runs July to July? Or July to August? Uh, So certainly between that 2020 to 2021, he was champion at some point. Correct. Or Jared, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that or No, I I don't really know anything about him. Yeah, I'm not okay. I really don't follow Japanese wrestling well, too much. Well, I was meaning Finn Balor as far as NXT. Oh, my sorry, my my brain went back to the other guy. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I don't <laughs> can, can we tell who's tired today? Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I'm I, well Finn Balor's Finn Balor. I mean God is they this is a guy he picked to be the first universal champ. He's obviously got some skill, he's had some great matches. Um Top ten, maybe. In my eyes, I don't. I'm not sure if I would maybe put him quite that high, but you know, it's uh, it's hard to argue against it at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of uh, Takaki, I to show my Japanese ignorance, I actually thought that's who came out at All Out because I just assumed they would bring out the champion. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Until I realized that out. it wasn't him. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about yeah. or watching, so I should just stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was the guy that lost my stuff when Suzuki showed up, but we'll get to that later. Uh, number seven is another name known mainly for Japan and in Europe. That's Will Ospreay. Uh, he was the IWGP world heavyweight champion, uh, had to vacate it due to an injury. Uh, but he's another one of those guys that he was the junior heavyweight champion and has also been the, uh, the heavyweight champion. The rest of the names, uh, with the exception of uh, one, I think, we're all going to know. Uh, number six is John Moxley. You know, obviously, up until December of 2020, he was the AEW champion, and he was the IWGP United States champion for over a year. So, I personally don't have any problems with Moxley at number six. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts? That's fair. Yeah, no arguments there. Yeah. Uh, number five is another Japanese named Kota Ibushi. He is probably at this because at this year's Wrestle Kingdom, he won both the uh, World Championship and the Intercontinental Championship. He essentially unified them, and that's what became the the new world heavyweight championships. That's why he's probably at number five. I mean, he was, he was injured for a while, or I think he was actually, I think he was very sick. I don't think it was COVID. I think it was something else, but he was down for a couple of months, but my hunch is he's at five because he effectively unified two titles in new Japan. Number four. I don't wait, 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 before you get to four. So he's the guy that we can blame for them changing the design of the belt and making it worse. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it honestly, the first time I saw it, I thought it looked like a Divas title. So, not not a big fan of the title. And yes, I will admit, I'm a bit of a belt mark. I liked the previous belt, the the fourth belt. That one looked cool, but this one, not so much. Uh, number four, um, no argument here, really. Uh, Drew McIntyre, obviously, he was the WWE champion throughout most of 2020 and well into 2021. Uh, any thoughts on Drew at number four? I think that's also fair. I mean, that was kind of half of his dominant run, the later half. So, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, no worries here on that one. Uh, number three, also uh, no argument, Bobby Lashley, because, yes, he only became champion this year, as far as WWE champion, but he, how long was he the U.S. champion? I don't know. Yeah, was, he was several months, and I think the number of times you can count that he got pinned in the last year, you can probably count that on one hand. And one of those was us, losing the U.S. title. Yeah, another dominant performance and slotting is okay with me. Although, I guess you could technically flip-flop him with Drew... Mm, yeah. That's again personal preference, but pretty much the same. Yeah, I mean, I'm 
personally not the biggest Lashley fan, but I mean, you can't, you can't argue his title reigns. That's for sure. Yeah. And the guy hasn't aged in like 18 years. He's still <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> his head's looking bigger these days though. Yeah. <laughs> Now, this one will probably upset a few WWE fans. Number two is the head of the table, Tribal Chief uh, Roman Reigns. Uh, obviously, one year as Universal Champion. That that alone puts him near the top. I'm assuming you guys agree with that as well, right? Um, I guess it depends on your point of view. You can make an argument for Roman to be one. You can make an argument for... The person who you're about to say is number one at number one. I don't want to say they're interchangeable. It pretty much depends on your perspective, which, you know, this whole list is the same way, but yeah. Yeah. We, we quickly touched on it before we got on the air and, and yeah, they, they pretty much could be interchangeable. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, Roman in the year long universal championship reign, um, you know, plus the, the storyline that they're weaving here is probably the best thing on TV right now. Um, and then when you have the person that uh, we're about to talk about, um, you know, we can get to that person, but there's a reason why they're probably number one. Yeah. And I mean, really Roman is probably the best thing about WWE right now. I mean, if, if there's anything WWE does well, it's when they want to protect somebody, they protect that person. Uh, it's just, unfortunately, usually that person winds up being a heel. And you look at WWE, yeah, in tradition, they tended to be a babyface friendly. You know, their 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 top star was a babyface. You know, there was a dragon slayer, essentially. But that's kind of a rant for another time, I guess. But number one is Kenny Omega. And I think the main reason why Kenny Omega is number one, I don't think it has anything to do with AEW bias, like some people will try to claim. It's that he, uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, was the world champion in three separate promotions. And not only separate promotions, promotions that were based in different countries, because I believe Impact is based out of Canada now. Obviously, AEW being based out of the States, and AAA is based out of Mexico. So he's basically a champion in three separate countries. I think that's probably the reasoning that PWI was using to put him at number one. It wasn't just that he was a world champion. It's that he was a world champion in three companies. I'm assuming you guys probably agree with that, right? So what you're saying is he's the North American champion. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, not only in three different countries, three different companies, but also simultaneously, AKA the belt collector, which, you know, it's not a new thing. And to me, and also I believe Jared will concur, the Roman thing, while a family stable or faction is not new, it's the way they're telling the story and the so many different layers to it that makes it unique feeling. And so that's why I feel you could argue that Roman should be number one. But again, if you take the multiple top position in in multiple companies simultaneously i think that's what gives kenny the edge at number one mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you know he's from winnipeg too so we got to give him that as well because <laughs> canada well because because winnipeg <laughs> and because your guy well yeah because you know i managed but managed <laughs> by your other guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know no bias here well, I mean, you also you could also draw draw the same lines for the Usos. So, yeah, I mean, 
and the fact that I managed him back in the day too, right? So, well, you know, yeah. Name drop yourself, why don't you? <laughs> no one has ever heard of Chester Finch, Josh. <laughs> I have, damn it. <laughs> All right. ask, ask Don Callis about Chester. He'll laugh. He'll tell you what a great dancer he is. <laughs> but but is Chester a carny piece of ish? See, there's the difference. Oh, well, that's that's treading some fine lines right there. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I probably achieved the most I'll ever achieve in the wrestling world when I when I got uh, Jared to have Don Cal's pose with a uh, pack of Mentos. <laughs> I still I still have that picture. It's hilarious. <laughs> I remember when I, when I asked him to take that picture, he just kind of looked at me. It's like, what? <laughs> it's for a buddy. It's just an inside joke. He's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> he was happy to do it. For those that. Uh, don't know kind of an inside joke it was it was when don Callis won a match in in tna when tna was doing their weekly pay-per-views and they and all the heels hoisted don Callis up and he's celebrating his win and i made some crack about how it looked like it was the ending to mentos commercial you know with everybody smiling and holding up their hand and, and then i did a bad Photoshop to make it look like he had a pack of mentos in his hands and that, that's how it started and he he was kind enough to <laughs> Do make take an actual pose with uh, with a pack of Mentos. So that's my yeah. big contribution to the wrestling world. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to the spectacle, the pay per view, the live event, not a house show, <laughs> but the event that was live at the Now Arena in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Don't let them tell you it's Chicago. All Out, presented by All Elite Wrestling. I can just tell you, the buzz outside the building before we were even let in was similar to not only All In, three years ago, but it's kind of similar to uh, when I went to my first NXT show, which wasn't even a TV show. It wasn't even like takeover. I'm talking like NXT house show, but it was the first time it was in Chicago at a, at a theater. And it was, you know, everybody outside was like buzzing just to get in and, and the excitement for a freaking house show. Uh, kind of helped out that Finn Balor came out and high five people standing in line. But uh, this was like that, but like times 10. So, Seth, I don't know how long you stood outside or if you got in after people were being let in. But we were in we had got there at I want to say 520 uh, kind of got dinner on the way because we weren't mm-hmm. going to pay the crazy prices inside. But we got dinner on the way, ate in the car, and then jumped in line at 5.30. And I want to say we only were in line for about 20, 25 minutes before we actually made it to where they were taking our tickets. Um, so it wasn't that bad. But, Seth, what was your experience outside coming in? Uh, I was a bit late. I missed the pre-show match or the buy-in match or whatever they call it. 
Uh, that was the only match I missed. So I had come in technically after the doors had already been open and people were getting to their seats. It was very quick uh, for me because I was sitting around uh, 115, I think, was the section I was in. When when you see John Moxley come out for his match, he literally walks right past me. Now, you don't really see me just because of uh, where the cameras were placed, but uh, for people that could kind of see around where, where I was, I was a long-haired guy in the uh, G.I. Joe Cobra uh, mask, you know, uh, so that, uh, that, that was really my, uh, attire for the evening, but yeah, John Moxley walked right past me for, for, for his match. So, uh, but yeah, it, it was pretty easy to get to where everything was. I too, uh, ate on the way, uh, with, you know, with my friend that I went with, cause you know, same reason I, I didn't want to pay eight bucks for a bottle of water. So yeah, but everybody had already gotten in. So while it was disappointing that I missed the first match, everything else was fine because I was able to get to my seats pretty quickly. Also a good methodology. All right. Uh, as previously mentioned, the buy-in, a.k.a. kickoff show, featured the 10-man tag team match with the babyface team of Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, Wheeler Yuta, Jurassic Express, defeated Matt Hardy, Private Party, and TH2, collectively Hardy family office and i didn't i haven't seen oh. this, this match since so i, I was gonna really say i left it, it for the next person and you didn't see it i forgot <laughs> okay so this was uh basically probably the best choice to put on the buy-in show of which is a free show to get you to buy the pay-per-view because it had sing-alongs with entrance music it had action it had spot and i don't want to really say a spot fest that was a later match but it, everybody got their stuff in so to speak and the baby faces went over and the crowd was happy and jacked and pumped and ready to get the show going so this is probably the perfect match for the buy-in and uh i thought it was great and um yeah i i can i can see i can see the potential and the progress for jungle boy but at the same time you almost want him to take that long journey to get to quote unquote the promised land and 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 the upper echelon but he he can already say he's had a great match with kenny omega too at the same time so mm-hmm. uh great stuff this is one of those matches where it's it was like uh almost kind of the wrestlemania door to get everybody on the card it seemed and if, if i could wrap it up in one word it was fun it was just a fun match to watch. There's lots going on, lots of, you know, big versus little guy, lots of flippy stuff, lots of unique double team action, triple team action. It was just fun to watch, and I, like, I completely enjoyed it. I think the entire night can be described as fun, but we'll get to that in the aftermath summary. But to start out the main well i'm sorry let's back up a little bit i i do agree this felt like one of those matches where you tried to get everybody on the show but at the same time there was still story being told here and involving most all 10 people and then at the end when the baby faces won the first quote unquote surprise is more of a return from injury but the butcher came back and took out Orange Cassidy, and um, so we've got the Butcher and the Blade reunited, uh, still within, um, I think they're part of HFO, too, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they um, are, yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, that's going to lead to fueling the fire for continuing on with the Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy feud, which will probably take us, they could probably stretch it out to full gear. Um, but it may actually end up in a hair versus hair match, uh, which is interesting, but we'll get to that when the time comes. But yeah, um, great match, fun match to start the uh, show and totally would get people who were on the, I I can't imagine people would be on the fence about ordering the pay-per-view, but uh, definitely uh, something to bring them in for sure. Now, if we had made part of our predictions match order or card order, we all would have lost because I don't think any of us would have predicted the first match that that we got on the card. But the first match of All Out Proper was the TNT title match where Miro successfully defended against Eddie Kingston. Yeah, the, the crowd was so into this match. And this goes to show that even though heels might get cheered some in AEW, in the end, the crowd mainly si- sides with the baby faces because Bureau's popular. You, know, you, you heard the cheers when, when he came out, but boy, did this crowd want to see Eddie Kingston win. And this is one case. And I think it happened twice throughout the night, but where it was a case where there was a ref screw up where one side had a legitimate gripe. In this case, it was the baby face and Eddie Kingston because he hit the back fist of the future and got a visible pin on Miro, but R- Bryce Remsburg was distracted by the turnbuckle coming apart. So it it was a case where, yes, the referee screwed up, but I think you could say that it was an understandable thing. The referee w- saw something that could have legit been a problem in the ring, and unfortunately for Eddie, it cost him the win. So I think they're going to have a rematch. I would assume they're going to do that at the Arthur Ashe Stadium show in, what, about two weeks, because that'll be in New York where Eddie's from, and it'll be probably even an even bigger crowd, and he can win the title and have his revenge and such. But yeah, I I would not have thought this would have been the opening match, but it certainly worked as an opening match because the crowd was into it right, right from the get-go. Yeah, and I, I, I'm just not an Eddie Kingston guy. I, I just have trouble getting into him as a performer, and um, it's for that. I was kind of in and out of this match, but, I mean, I'm, I'm also, you know, cheering on Miro. Um, <clears throat> so, really, for me, it was like, hey, Miro won. Awesome. I'm happy about that. You know, he got to demolish him. Woohoo! Let's let's go. That was cool. But uh, I'm really not invested in Eddie Kingston at all, so that, that kind of – put a bit of a damper on for me. I can honestly say I didn't, I wasn't into Eddie Kingston when he first came to AEW, probably cause I didn't know anything about him, but he's grown on me. Um, I definitely dig him as a baby face. Um, so I'm okay with the potential of this rematch being at Arthur Ashe stadium and for Eddie to win the title just for the moment itself, for the win, the moment, for him saying he can be a champion. And then it doesn't even have to be a long run. He could drop back to Miro on Dynamite the following week or Rampage in two days later, whatever. I think they sh- they should do something that WWE does not do often, and that's pull the trigger on a moment when it's sitting right in front of you. So I think for Eddie to get the win in his hometown – 
makes a whole lot of sense and gives you that feel good moment because I don't think there would be another time where you can get him a title unless it was a tag team titles. Um, because I think he and Mox had a chance to beat the young bucks had Mox not had to go away for pater- paternity leave. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would not be shocked to see it happen. And I, I would be pleasantly surprised to see it happen. And like I said, you can just drop it back to Miro in two days or seven days or whatever. Um, so yeah, up next, we had the other half of Kingston and Moxley as John Moxley faced off with Satoshi Kojima. I think this match was pretty much what everybody expected, at least anybody who knew who Kojima was. Uh, we talked about that last week and I was happy with the match. The only thing that was a little disappointing was when Kojima shouts and then goes to the top rope with his elbow. The crowd usually yells along with him. But I think in this case, since it was a, an American audience, I don't think anybody knows what he actually yells. Uh, I I don't know uh, what what the, um, the actual uh, verbiage is in Japan, but I think it translates to, uh, I'm going to get you, bastard, or something like that. But the crowd didn't yell along. Uh, a little, little disappointing, but like I said, I, I guess it's not too surprising because it was not a Japanese audience. But the, the match I thought was fine, and of course, Moxley uh, bowed to Kojima after the match, showing he was a worthy opponent. And then, like we hinted at earlier, then suddenly, literally, like the last music I was expecting to hear was Minoru Suzuki's music. And lo and behold, he does come out. Like I said, I... Uh, I lost it. All the, the fans in the audience all lost it. They started chanting, you know, holy crap and such. And then what was funny is they actually did sing along the Kaza uh, Ninare, I think is how it's pronounced, when Suzuki gets into the ring. And that was quite a moment, the fact that so many people knew who Suzuki was. And then he hit the uh, sleeper gotch pile driver combo, which is his finisher. That's basically his finishing combination is the sleeper and then pile driver. Uh, can't really say much for the match they had on Dynamite, but I guess they're going to follow that up with uh, another match later. But that was uh, it, not not a match of the year candidate, but it was a good spectacle, and then a heck of a spectacle after that. Yeah, and I'm again, first of all, actually, Seth, I'm surprised at the amount of Japanese wrestling that you watch that you're not fluent now, so <laughs> I expect all Japanese translations to be flawless from here on in. About the the main thing I can translate now is back when Yokozuna uh, was with Mister Fuji and he would say what what did he say like Soto Sne or something like that. That translates to "Let it be so" or something like that. So that that that's the extent of my Japanese wrestling promos that I can translate. <laughs> awesome, um, yeah. I mean, I've already said I don't know a lot about Japanese wrestling, so I, I didn't know a lot going into this, but. I just thought, you know, they, they beat the crap out of each other. I think that chop fest at the start and in the middle of the match was awesome. They were hitting each other hard. And you can tell there were some stiff shots in this, and that's the way it should be. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I enjoyed the match. And, like, again, like you said, it wasn't a match of the year or anything, but it was just, it was enjoyable. Okay, just to accentuate my New Japan Pro ignorance, I didn't know who the music was obviously and because of my seats i could only see 
like the lower half of the video board. And so I saw rain in a puddle and I assumed it was going to be Okada because of the rain, you know, the rainmaker gimmick. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. But so I didn't know. And then he came out and I didn't know it was Minoru Suzuki because there was nothing really that I could see on the Tron or the board that said that's who it was. So I just assumed it was the world champion. Because, you know, world champion, John goes to New Japan, whatever they have. But, you know, I didn't know until I don't even know when I realized who it was. Maybe when I was reading it on my phone in between matches or whatever. But I'm like, oh, another legend. Okay. So I know the guys over at What Culture brought it up. But they were like, who did Mox piss off that all these New Japan guys are coming to kick his ass? <laughs> First, it was Kenta. Now it was Kojima. Then it was um suzuki i mean you know our title holders coming to kick his ass out what the hell well i i think what it is building to is a match with tanahashi who is the biggest star in new japan he and okada are kind of like the top dogs uh but tanahashi you know he's in his early 40s so he's kind of like don't really want to directly compare him to john cena but he's kind of like that where you know he he is the biggest star but you know, he's in approaching the twilight of his career, but I think that's what it's building to. This is going to be a, a match with Tanahashi. Got it. Okay. Next, we had the AEW women's title match as Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defeated challenger Chris Statlander. Now, I want to say this. I am going to get into my thoughts on this later, but um, this is one of those examples where the quote unquote heel is mega over with the crowd. And if you didn't know any better, you would never know she was a heel. Yeah. I think this was kind of similar to like what we did talk about before with Miro. Although the crowd, I think definitely liked Brit more than they liked Miro, at least as far as the cheers go. Uh, the, this was almost exactly what I figured it would be. You know, Chris Statlander got her offense in. She looked credible. You could have a rematch, and I think people could still believe that it's possible the Statlander could win. But I think, like we talked about last week, is it's just too early for Britt to lose the title yet. So there was kind of the screw job finish. Maybe there'll be a rematch down the road, or maybe there'll be a gimmick match or something to that effect. But really, nothing to complain about with this match. As much as I'm not a Statlander person either, just because of the gimmick. I mean, I'm sure she she's fine as a wrestler. This is a solid match. It was fun. I liked I liked the combination of the finish too. The big the the double moves there, the plants and the stomping right into the finish. That was really smooth and awesome. Looked great. And yeah, it was a solid solid match. Good to watch. Okay, now I have a question to Seth, who was at a different angle than I was, and Jared, who was watching it on TV, which probably had a different angle than either one of us. Now, the last card, the last pay-per-view I was at was Revolution 2020, where Chris Statlander challenged Nyla Rose, who was the champ at that time. And that match was extremely sloppy. I think Chris has come leaps and bounds since that time. However, it did look to me, from my vantage point, that Chris was a little sloppy on a couple of different occasions, especially there was an instance where Britt was in the corner on the top and Chris was trying to power her off in some kind of power move. From my vantage point, it looked like 
either she didn't have control of Brit or that Brit slipped and she ended up almost dropping her. I don't know what you guys saw. Maybe it was just my vantage point and I didn't really get a good look. But to me, that I, I thought Britt would have injured herself on the way down or, you know, hitting the mat. It looked that bad from where I was sitting. Um, I just thought not as sloppy as a year and a half ago for Chris, but not really. People are saying it was one of her best performances, which may be true. But to me, I thought she was a little sloppy in a couple of parts. Uh, I don't recall anything like that. Uh, I just still remember the few days before on Rampage when they did the spot where uh, I think she had, was I think it was Rebel on her shoulders, and then uh, Jamie Hayter tried to cross body, and Stylin just caught her. So she's you know, got one of them carrying, and, and then the other one on her shoulders. You know, the pretty amazing spot there, but I, I don't recall... Anything that looked that looked blown during the the pay per view match, though. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that spot, Josh, and and I'm having a hard time. I, I seem to remember the announce team saying something that Britt landed weird, but I'm I'm just trying to I I can't picture the spot in my head right at the moment. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that's the only thing that stuck out in my head. But um, what I did appreciate was Britt doing the quote unquote pittsburgh sunrise uh <laughs> before doing somebody else's curb stomp and then winning with her own finisher which i thought was just a nice tribute at the time little do we know it would be foreshadowing later on but we'll get there next the <laughs> aew tag team title match inside a steel cage the young bucks were defeated by the Lucha Brothers in what was probably match of the night. Yeah, I think any other match, I'm stealing a line from Meltzer here, but any other match would have had to be a match of the year candidate just to get match of the night. Uh, This, I mean, people did call it uh, a spot fest, and I tell you, I'm not an in-ring critic, so I can't tell you as far as what was great, what was blown or anything like that, kind of like what we just talked about. But yes, there were a lot of spots, but this still told a story because the two parties or the two sides got increasingly more desperate and increasingly angry as they they went along. Uh, And you noticed there was only one move off the cage. Everything else was off the ropes or something to that effect. I mean, I don't really like that they did a uh, top rope Canadian destroyer because it basically <laughs> cheapens the regular Canadian destroyer, which I think is a move that should be an instant stretcher job anyway. But that's just more of a com- or, commentary on the state of the business. Or as a at whole. the very yeah, or at the very least, it should end a match. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, it should end a match right away. But like I said, that, that that's more commentary on the business as a whole than. Than, than this match, but it, it really, you could tell things shifting gears when I think it was Matt put on the shoes with the tacks in the, in the soles. Cause I, I had pointed out to my friend that I was uh, watching the show with, I said, I, is Matt wearing air Jordans? It would look like he had kind of classic style air Jordans on. And then of course that was so he could put on the gimmick shoe later. And people chanting, you sick blank, you sick blank. 
and he, of course he super kicks uh, both Lucha Brothers with the spiked shoe. But the only real spot off the cage was Ray Phoenix diving off the cage after their main finisher failed. Nobody climbed into the cage. Nobody climbed out of the cage. They did throw something into the cage. But that was what a cage match was supposed to be. You know, so many other promotions, they do a cage match and then somebody interferes, which defeats the point of having a cage match in the first place. You know, so uh, props all around. If this wins match of the year, I'm not going to argue against it. I don't know if I'd put it at match of the year yet. Uh, we'll see at the at the end of the year, because as I like to say, if I have to stop and think about whether a match was match of year candidate at the end of the year, it wasn't a match of the year candidate. Well, this is definitely a match of the night by by far. And yes, it's a match of the year candidate. And I have a completely different view on that of, of than you do, Seth, is there's different matches at different point in time that happen throughout the year that are amazing. And sometimes I have to go back and rewatch them and see which one I like best. Um, so yeah, I do. I do create a list, but this like this was just fun. We've used the the word fun at the start. Uh, I'm using it here again. I'm going to use it at the end of the show when we talk about this as a whole. But this is just, I don't care if people call these matches bot fests. That's what the young bucks have done for years, and the the Lucha Brothers mix in that. Lucha Libre style along with the spot fest and they do some really, really innovative stuff um, with, you know, with the re- uh, Phoenix being the king of the ropes and, and, uh, you know, Penta just does some crazy stuff as well. Um, they beat the snot out of each other. They took spiked shoes in the face um, and did some really fantastic, you know, flippy, devastating things at the top rope Canadian destroyer, which I thought was absolutely sick. And yeah, this was Super, super fun, and one of the best tag matches we've seen all year. Just incredible. Now, if this wins match of the year, this will be, or at least in a lot of people's eyes, it will be the second year in a row that a tag team match involving the Young Bucks won match of the year. So that would be interesting. Um, I think I agree that not only was this fun, it was exciting and it had the crowd invested and probably when they won got one i would say probably top five pops of the night um <laughs> if it weren't oh, yeah. for the surprises and everything they, they probably would have had the top pot of top, blah, 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 top pop of the night because people wanted them to win people were ecstatic when they did win and it was just great all the way around and uh, I weren't I wasn't sure what they were going to give us next because they were, the crowd was so amped and exhausted from this match, um, <laughs> you know, so it's all about card place or, you know, match placement within a card. But I think they did a great job with these two teams. Um, fantastic match. Fantastic result. And Seth, you said there was only one move off the top of the cage, but there were certainly several several moves into the side of the sides of the cage and mm-hmm. brutal brutal stuff. Um, yeah, just a fun match all the way around and exhilarating is probably the best way to sum it up. Yeah, I, I've got um, my my girlfriend's younger boys started watching wrestling with me again. We've watched WWE together, and this was his first big show for uh, for AEW. And during this match, he was literally like what the bleep like over 
and over again. He was absolutely mystified and stupefied and, and loved it all at the same time. So if you want to throw out a match to entice fans to watch it, like throw this one out. Like just awesome. Okay. I would like to take a moment to break down, not break down, but go down the prediction results up to this point through the tag team title match. I am, or was, or whatever tense you want to use, 5-0 and with 15 points. Seth and Jared picked the Young Bucks, so they went down to 4-1. and Everybody was undefeated before this tag team title match, uh, and 12 points apiece for Seth and Jared. Uh, moving on to the first of a couple of cooler matches, cooler, cool, cool down the crowd matches. The Women's Casino Battle Royal, where the winner gets a future shot at the AEW Women's title. We had Nyla Rose, Sky Blue, Big Swole, The Bunny, Thunder Rosa, Red Velvet, Tay Conti, Penelope Ford, Diamante, Hikaru Shida, Emi Sakura, Jade Cargill, Kira Hogan, Rebel, Jamie Hayter, Anna Jay, Layla Hirsch, Kylin King, Abaddon, Riho and the Joker, Ruby Soho, also your winner. I missed the first part of this match because that's when I went to get those $8 waters that I was talking about. So by the time I had come back, uh, Sky Blue had already been eliminated. So when uh, I heard that did not go over very well with the crowd because the, you know she was a local gal, so she had a lot of support from the crowd. My hunch is she just basically played the part that Julie Hart would have played if she was in the match. Uh, I'm certainly fine with with everybody uh, turning out the way they did, you know, with with Ruby winning, because uh, I didn't think of her until after Josh made his predictions last week. Uh, but I was close because I had predicted, I believe, Thunder Rosa to win, and she was the runner-up, so I was close. But as far as Battle Royals go... Uh, you know, and this kind of being a mix of a battle royal and a Royal Rumble type match. I think it was good for where it was in the middle of the show. We'd, we'd, get, we'd just seen a couple of huge matches, a couple of huge moments. Battle Royal might break things up a little bit. So uh, no real uh, no real complaints on my end. Um, and clearly the crowd loved Ruby. So that's a plus as well. I have to say it's probably one of the better women's battle royals I've seen. Um, I don't have any complaints about it. Um, I don't have a lot of, you know, woohoo moments about it either. It's just solid, and the the Ruby surprise was great at the end. Obviously, everybody knew who she was and was was ready for it, and that was great. Um, yeah, zero complaints. Enjoyed it. Uh, Seth, to your point about Sky Blue, yeah, she was pretty much the first elimination and the quote unquote jobber of the battle royal which, as you said, that's probably the role Julia Hart would have played. Um, I did like that there was storytelling throughout. Um, Tony Khan even said before the show that he was going to be the producer for this match, so he was in charge of putting it all together. Um, the stuff between Tay, Conti, and Anna Jay, and Penelope Ford, and the Bunny played out throughout this match, so that feud is probably going to continue on moving forward. Um first AEW pay-per-view appearance for Kira Hogan, who was formerly an impact. And it just introduced more people to the crowd, you know, to a bigger audience. And I thought that was well done. 
And then Ruby coming out, I didn't see it live because I was on the opposite side of the arena as the stage, but seeing the video after the fact, she was so happy to be there, so happy Mm -hmm. for the reaction that she got, brought to tears immediately when the wall of sound hit her that CM Punk described when he had his entrance in the United Center. Um, and just a great reaction. Um, and, um, I, I do agree with bully Ray who on busted open said that the only thing he would have changed is he would have given Ruby a little more shine in the match that she should have got more offense in and been a little more dominating. If you're going to, you know, debut her like that, she should have been involved more. Um, but that's kind of nitpicking or neither here nor there, but, um, great match. Perfect surprise. Uh, right result as far as I'm concerned. And I had predicted as much. So there you go. And, um, yeah, good stuff. Next, the final fight. If Jericho loses, he will never wrestle in AEW again. MJF did lose to Chris Jericho, but at the start of this match, they kind of did what some people thought that MJF would have done, would have done for CM Punk's debut. But when this match, when the video package finished for this match, the lights went out. The old Y2J countdown graphic came up starting at 13, counting all the way down, gets to zero. The lights go out, pyro goes off, and instead of Jericho flashing on the screen, it flashes Jericho's final match and then immediately kicks into MJF's theme. Instant heel heat, perfectly done. I thought we were getting Jericho retro. We did not. Um, and then Jericho came out to Judas played by, which I'm guessing was the guitarist from Judas, uh, from Fozzie. It was, yeah. I didn't care for that musician, not the musician. I didn't care for that version because it proved the weakness of the audience that if you're not hearing the lyrics, you're going to forget one. So they did. It wasn't the best entrance. Um, but because Jericho won, we got to sing it with the song on the way out. So I guess they were able to salvage that. But the match itself, we'll get to it now. I think what happened with the intro is it sounded like there was some feedback or something going on with the PA system because it sounded like the guitar essentially just started buzzing and you, you couldn't really hear the riffs of the notes. I think that might have been what messed up the crowd but either way no matter what you, you know you're right it 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 really kind of screwed up the crowd singing the intro and this was the other case of a referee screw up that uh affected the match in this case it was Aubrey not seeing that Jericho's foot was on the ropes because it wasn't just a matter of Jericho getting his foot on the ropes in the nick of time It was he had his foot on the ropes the whole time Aubrey counted, if I recall correctly. And then it was the other referee that stepped in to tell Aubrey what happened. And I guess the story is simply that Aubrey trusted her fellow referee cohort or or co-worker and had the match restarted. And usually when you restart a match, the finish comes 
quickly after that, which it did. And in true heel fashion, obviously, this week on Dynamite, MGF came out and complained that he had won the match uh, clean in the middle, even though he hit Jericho with a bat and pinned him next to the ropes with Jericho's foot in the ropes. So, of course, he's full of crap when he tries to say that he pinned him clean. Uh, So, like I said at the beginning of the the show, where Eddie Kingston got screwed by a referee over a genuine mistake, similar thing happened here, only it was a heel that had his victory thwarted. You know, he tried to cheat, and it wasn't the cheating that cost him. It was uh, another referee noticing the foot on the ropes. So that is very good storytelling. It does seem like it's over because not only was MGF uh, getting into uh argument with Brian Pillman's family, Jericho online uh, on his social media talked like the storyline was over because it said it was the longest storyline he'd ever been in in wrestling since it went well over a year. I think it was like 16 months or so. So it looks like we are moving on. I personally would love to see uh, an MJF CM Punk feud or one with Christian Cage because I've heard it said that Christian Cage is like one one of the most quick-witted people you'll ever meet. Like, I think it was Brian Alvarez that said, if you ever get into a shoot battle of wits with Christian Cage, you will lose because he is just so quick on his feet with with comebacks and such. So I'm I'm curious to see where MJF goes from here. And yeah, the this was one of those that wasn't going to be match of the year, but again, it told a great story. We all in the theater or in, in the in the, the arena gasped when that three count went down because we saw Jericho get screwed. And for a split second, I think you know, we might have believed it because one of the things that made Jericho's promo so effective the previous week is I had attended Dynamite with my brother and it'd been in years since he'd sat down and watched wrestling with any regularity. He got sold on that match from Jericho's promo because Jericho was mentally preparing himself for what if he lost because he started saying what he was going to do if he lost. So that paired with the finish of the match was perfectly done, good storytelling, and I don't think it, quite frankly, could have been done any better. Yeah, this match was never going to be about it being a five-star match. It was going to be about the storytelling, and that's exactly what it did. Um, I Like you said, um, uh, Josh, the, the start of the intro was – Awesome. I thought this the exact same thing that you did. That you know we're going to get you know all the all the retro Jericho stuff, and this was part of the way of him saying you know goodbye, and it was going to be over, and MJF was going to win, <clears throat> and then the the uh, the foot in the ropes three count happened. I think he got his leg up right at the count of two, kind of almost like uh, Hogan back in the day against Andre. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, the three count happened. Everybody's like, oh, my God, that's it. And then we, you know, good old dusty finish. Match gets restarted. The right thing happens. I was, I was actually thinking uh, when we were doing our predictions, it took me a long time to figure out how long to predict this match because I, I thought for sure that the, that the best story was was Jericho going through all the labors and then failing at the end and having to retire because of it. But I don't have any problems with this. Uh, it, was, it was an awesome story, and uh, we'll see what's next for Jericho. Fozzie tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 
this was spoiler alert. This is the only match I got wrong of the night. Um, and I don't mind because the crowd loved it. The crowd was into it. What I found strange and I don't know if it was done on purpose. It, it, it had to have been done on purpose. It was just too weird to be an accident. But not only did Aubrey not see the foot on the rope during the count, she never saw the foot on the rope because Jericho right. left his foot on the rope the entire time. She missed the count. She goes to MJF and raises his hand away, facing away from Jericho. She then turns the opposite way and faces outward toward the stage to talk the, to the senior official. And the senior official is literally pointing to his foot still on the rope. And she never turns around. Mm -hmm. She never, literally never (laughs) saw his foot on the rope. I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? Even restarting the match, she timekeeper in the opposite corner. And Jericho had pulled his leg down before she even turned towards him again. Like, literally, she never saw it. That sells it in your mind, man. I guess, but just it was weird that she never turned around is like, you know, Aubrey, look, it's on the ropes. Oh, OK, you're right. It is. But nope, never, never turned. I'm like, OK. <laughs> All right. In a match that was highly anticipated, but at the end of everything, wasn't even the primary talking point, And who would have ever thunk that CM Punk? After seven and a half years back in the ring against Darby Allen, and while this was a good to great match, Punk comes out on top and defeats Darby Allen. This was everything I think you could have expected in a match. Again, like we were talking about before, not a match of the year candidate, but that's fine. It didn't have to be. It it did what it needed to do. This was Punk in the ring officially for the first time in seven and a half years. And this was the young upstart against kind of the grizzled veteran. And I'm sure people by now have seen the similarities between that and the Sean Waltman, Bret Hart match from a little over 20 years ago. Cause there were, there were definitely the similar spots with the uh, arm drag and punk's reaction to it. Similar to uh, Bret Hart dealing with Sean Waltman in the WWF, you know, takes the arm drag and she's looking at face like, whoa, okay, that surprised me. Uh, and everything happening afterwards, it was pretty much, I think what we all figured would happen that even though punk won, you're going to get the handshake or the hug and the mutual raising of hands and the, the mutual respect. We got sting coming out and shaking punk's hand, which apparently punk didn't knew, know what was going to happen. But, uh, all in all, very feel good moment. Uh, good, not necessarily great match, but good. Uh, but it didn't need to be a great match. So n- nothing at all uh, negative as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, we all knew what was going to happen, right? Punk's return after seven years. We knew he was going to win the match. I think everybody and their dog knew he was going to win the match, but it still didn't stop it from being enjoyable. I'm going to use the word fun again. They did some different things and different psychology from the rest of the matches in the evening, which helped it along a bit. And, you know, I think uh, Josh, you said, you know, good to great. Yeah. I'll say good to very good. Good to great. I'll, I'll agree with that. Very, very solid match. And again, very fun. And that's really all you can expect out of a good wrestling match. I, I can agree with everything that said. I do want to say that I think they were trolling punk in during his intro because, uh, one thing he said during WWE backstage during those days was that he hated 
the the fact that they were using a red light during the fiends matches because it looks awful and during his entrance they had a red light on (laughs) for some unknown reason that it was dark except for this red light i was like are are they trolling him on his first match i'm like what what so i thought that was weird also ruined my pictures and videos for his entrance because of said red light but whatever um yeah I thought it was good for what it was. And I found out about the similarities to, and the callbacks to uh, Brett and Waltman. So I thought that made it even better in my mind. Um, So I can appreciate that because they took the time to lay out that match and do those things and do them well. Uh, So I, I'm completely on board and, and appreciated that. So at this point, or at some point during this match, Seth texts me and says, there's only the world title, right? Left. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I think so. I think that's pretty much it. And then we got Paul White versus QT Marshall. And I sat there and be like, all right, this three minute interlude coming up. And uh, it was another way to cool down the, the crowd again uh, before getting to our main event. And, and Paul White squishifies QT in three minutes or less, whatever it was. He pie-faced one of the members of his stable, threw out the other one, chokeslam QT, and that was that. Again, this was a match that was exactly what it needed to be. Nobody was expecting a great match. We kind of figured that QT was going to get his butt kicked in quick fashion. That's exactly what happened. We got uh, minions trying to interfere and failing, and we got the feel-good moment of Big Show, or the former Big Show, I should say, getting his revenge on QT Marshall. So I guess kind of by default, you if there was a worst match on the show, this would have been it. But even for what it was meant to be, I thought the match was fine. So again, nothing really to complain about. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on it and just go indeed. I think we spent more time talking about the match than the match actually lasted <laughs> on the show. <laughs> Now, in terms of storyline and continuity, where the hell was the gun club? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't need to see Billy Gunn versus Paul White in 2021. But if they weren't going to be at the pay-per-view, what the hell was the point of them turning on him on TV the prior week? I don't know. And there wasn't a follow-up on either show this week either. Maybe it's something like it followed up on, on Dark because obviously Paul White does commentary for Dark Elevation. So maybe that's where they're looking for the follow-up for. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, then we had the main event. AEW world title on the line. Kenny Omega, the cleaner, defeated Christian Cage. And whoa, boy, there was some stuff afterwards. But let's let's focus on the match first, and then we'll get to the other stuff. Yep, this definitely lived up to expectations for a main event match. So I not a single thing I could complain about really with this match. And I think by modern standards, you could say that Omega won pretty clean. I mean, I know the good brothers interfered, but Christian thwarted that interference. And I think we all expected Omega to win anyway, especially since Christian already won the impact title from him. And they could have, in my opinion, I know people disagree, they could have ended the the show with that. 
because, of course, they never actually promised us who was going to show up afterwards. They just left the hints like what they did with Punk. So I was happy with Omega winning, even if there had been no follow-up. I, I get that other people probably would have been upset, but I wouldn't have. So, But we'll we'll get to the other stuff later. I, I was perfectly happy with this match. How old is Christian Cage? I know I can Google this. I want to say in his 40s. I know Punk's 42. Um, Because I think Christian and Edge are almost exactly the same age. And yeah, for a guy at his age to be... 47. 47, wow. To be taking finishing moves off the top rope. Yeah, what? let's just say like when he's there like to outwork everyone, like the dude can still go, right? He's nearly 50 and he's doing this. Like that was a fantastic main event. Like I, I, I still think the tag match was was much better, but this was very, very, very good, um, very solid main event match. Um, they had us believing that Christian had a shot to win, which is all you can expect when you're going up against a guy like Omega, and everybody figures that Omega is going to win. But they did give us that that drop of hope that Christian might come through. Some big moves from both guys, and like what like what more can you ask for? And then we get to the after stuff, like, holy cow. So I agree. The match was great. Not much to really hit on there, with the exception of if you think about the finish, Christian Cage attempted a top rope kill switch, (laughs) and it was reversed into a top rope one-winged angel for the finish. Yeah, I was like, holy crap. So that in itself was, yeah, was sick, was amazing. And and that I think that helped because obviously Christian won the impact title with a kill switch on a chair that was brought in by the elite. And this time he thought it would have taken another kill switch to another level. And then it turned out in order to beat Christian, Kenny had to bust out the one winged angel from another level and that level being the top rope. So great match, great finish. Um, I agree with Jarrett, not not quite the match of the night, that tag team match in the cage stole it easy and often and without question. But after the match. The elite gets in the ring and Luke Gallows starts beating down Christian Cage, who's already prone on the mat. So I'm not sure how much further down he could have beat him, but starts the beat down. Everybody joins in out. Obviously, somebody has to make the save. But they don't pull the trigger on any surprises just yet. They bring in Christian's running mates, the cavalry, the Jurassic Express, including Marco Stunt. They all come in and they catch a beat down because of numbers. And Kenny then gets a mic and cuts a promo, which in and of itself was still great. And I I've seen this enough times where I should be able to quote it. But in case I mess it up, I will state that I am paraphrasing. But he says something to, along the lines of, Do you, are you starting to understand now, Chicago? You, you know, best in the world, this best in the world, that I don't care that you have hometown heroes. I don't 
care where you came from. Nobody is on my level. And the only people who could even come close to beating me are either not here, already tired, which I guess that means the people in the elite who fought earlier in the night. I thought he said retired at first, which would have made more sense. But he said already tired or already dead. And after he says dead, the lights go down. Everybody assumes this is Brian Danielson. But we get the shock surprise of Adam Cole, baby, at All Out in AEW. The crowd goes ballistic because, one, they were expecting Brian Danielson. Two, this was not rumored. Obviously, we all thought he was coming eventually, but we didn't know at what point of the process he was in. So this was definitely a shock surprise pop. And he comes in, and if you know, if you know the story of being the elite, the YouTube series, Cole was in these videos when he was in Ring of Honor, when he was with the Bullet Club, which at that time was the Young Bucks and Kenny in New Japan. So he was part of this being the elite family. And when he signed his WWE deal, They, quote unquote, killed him in being the elite. So that ties into Kenny saying that that the only people on his level are already dead. Then this was the, quote unquote, ghost of Adam Cole because they resurrected him. So you think that you're getting Cole versus Omega and, you know, they start trash talking each other. He does the Adam Cole baby bit with the crowd. And then immediately super kicks Jungle Boy. Turned heel in about 10 seconds. So um, not quite Big Show-esque, but, you know, the crowd thought that this was the challenger. But obviously you could see it coming a mile away because if, if you look at the video that I took, you can hear me saying, ah, but is he with the elite? That is the question. So... Um, he super kicks jungle boy. He embraces with the young bucks. They kiss him on the cheek. Everything's hunky dory. Adam cuts a small, short, quick promo about how great the elite is and how the elite is the greatest faction in professional wrestling. And I thought he was going to say, and that's undisputed, but I guess they didn't want to cross those streams. And then he says, nobody has a chance in hell of beating us. And then gives the mic back to Kenny. Kenny says, well, that sounds like, or that sounds like a happy ending to me. And I guess the only thing that's left is for me to send the crowd home happy, which is what I'm good at. Starts to do his catchphrases for ending the show, but halfway through is interrupted by, the flight of the Valkyries and the crowd. And once they realize what it is, cause it's very hard to hear the orchestra version of the song. Uh, Brian Danielson comes in and we get two back to back surprises in the same night in the same segment. Danielson comes in, helps the baby faces to their feet. Some quick brawling happens. He hits the running knee on Nick Jackson. One of the Jacksons. I can't, I can never keep them straight. 
Um, and then the show goes off the air. Brian cuts a ten or yeah, Brian cuts a ten minute promo after the cameras go off, and I do not have that one memorized, nor will I bore you for another ten minutes. But uh, great, passionate promo, perfectly done, and that is the final wrap on the show. Thoughts. One thing we should have seen coming was the swerve with Adam Cole because when he ran out, he actually ran. He actually went through what is considered the heel tunnel because uh, that seems to be how AEW do, does things. Baby faces come outside of one tunnel and heels come out the other tunnel. Uh, and I think I had said off the air that I wouldn't have debuted this many people in one show. But that said, AEW does only have four major pay-per-views a year. So maybe that's why they loaded up so much. Plus, since they did the swerve with Adam Cole and that he was actually a heel all along, it makes sense to have somebody else come out to thwart him again to send the folks home happy. And the the, the gist of Brian Danielson's promo was something to the effect of he was happy where he was, meaning WWE, but he still felt like he needed to leave. And he was putting over the locker room and people that he wanted to work with. And I think he closed out by saying, you guys are the best freaking fans in the world. He didn't say freaking. First time I think I've ever heard Brian Danielson swear. And I don't think it was by accident. I think it was by design that Jurassic Express were among the people at the end because they seemed to be looked at as a true AEW. I don't want to say creation because I'm assuming they had those names on the independence before that, but definitely AEW stars, not people that they acquired from another promotion. So I think they're trying to mix up the established stars with their own branded stars, you might say. And that's really the way you should do it. And now we have a whole bunch of wonderful dream matches just based on the people that have debuted. I mean, even with Ruby Riot earlier, I mean, you know, we're getting a match with Britt Baker or people like Chris Statlander. Those are kind of dream matches. We can do Cole versus just about anybody on the babyface side, whether it's Punk, whether it's Danielson, whether it's Darby. Uh, or even people like uh, like Jurassic Express, like like Jungle Boy. So Brian Danielson versus really anybody in the elite right now is a dream match. So uh, definitely a huge way to go off the air with. Everybody was coming unglued in the crowds. Uh, one of the loudest crowds I've ever been in. So, and that really made it feel like we were part of something special. And I was thinking about it when I went home. I mean, obviously, Josh, you and I were at All In, so we were there for that. I was also at the ROH show when Adam Cole first joined the Bullet Club. So I can say, at least as far as Adam Cole goes, I I was there to see him debut in the Bullet Club, and I was there to see him debut in AEW. I don't know how many other people can say that, but at least I can. Yeah, I'm not sure what else to say that hasn't been said. I was surprised that it was Cole first. I think I was expecting uh, Brian Danielson to come out. Um, but it all played out 
like like you guys said, it was great. Uh, the, the the swerve, the the challenge from Brian, like, and and I was surprised that they did the the double debut there of two huge stars at the same time. Like like Seth said, but like you said, you've got to have the the, the heel face balance. So not not completely bad, but but definitely surprising. So a couple of huge shocks there to end the show and. And like you said, Seth, there's all kinds of directions they can go with with matches, and um, it's going to be great. And like, I know there's guys from WWE that when their contracts run out or they're let go or whatever, they're, they're just going to have to take. Um, you know, Brian Danison is one of those guys. Uh, Adam Cole's another one. Um, I'm just hoping that they just don't take everybody. Um, they don't overload themselves with uh, with WWE folks and that there's – there's still room for the AEW folks to to rise and 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 shine. I guess that's that's a bad phrase, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, a couple of great surprises. Love the love the match. Love the the post match stuff. Yeah, and this is when when we talk about fun, right? Like I've been watching WWE lately again because I've been you know doing the Roman thing and, and trying to watch more because of that, and it just seems so formulaic and just put together and it, it it seems like an AEW everyone's just kind of they're being themselves and they're doing their own thing and they're doing kind of what they want and they're having fun doing it and it's coming across like that the kickoff match the the tag team match like there's just seems like it's just so much fun to watch and that's that vibe is missing out of WWE right now and AEW seems to be firing on all cylinders right now, so I hope they keep that up. I hope they keep the roster in check, and they're they're going to be awesome for a while now. This is so cool. So a couple of talking points that I want to hit on. One is what we've been saying throughout this whole description of the card is that it was fun. It was a fun show. I had fun. Fun was to be had by everyone. And Jared, you talk about comparing it to WWE not only is it formulaic and everything, but just from the excitement level, if you take out the Bloodline storyline, WWE seems sleepy in comparison. It's it's not even close. AEW is the fun promotion, is the cool promotion, is the wrestling promotion. Yeah. And Seth, to your point, it did feel like a special night, a historic night, and that we in the crowd were there to be um, there for it and entertained and satisfied and just have a fun night. Um, In terms of Adam Cole coming out in the surprise, I know, Jarrett, you texted me, oh-ish, and I said, double swerve, baby. (laughs) And um, in terms of them busting out two surprises back to back like that, not only the heel face balance, but I think maybe a small part also was we don't know where things are going with the pandemic again. And it's very possible in the near future things could start getting shut down again. And if that happens, then you lose your opportunities to do things like this, especially when you only run four pay-per-views a year. So the next one's not till November. A lot can change between now and then. Obviously, you weren't really going to hold off Adam Cole or Brian Danielson until November. They might have done something on TV, but still, I would imagine maybe a tiny itsy bitsy piece was um, the unknown of the pandemic. 
And for those of you who are wondering who could possibly be next, well, Bray Wyatt's contract, or 90 days, I should say, are up around Halloween. It's There's equal reports and rumors that he's going to Impact and versus AEW. So that's another person. And then we found out earlier this week that Kevin Owens' contract ends in January, which was six months earlier than it originally anticipated, and that he will likely leave when his contract is up. And he and the Young Bucks had tweeted some things back and forth at each other. Kevin started with the coordinates for Mount Rushmore, and that was their stable in PWG, I want to say, where it was Kenny, it, yeah. the Bucks. No, I'm sorry. Adam uh, Adam Cole, the Bucks, and Kevin Steen, perhaps? Yeah, I think that's right. Something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. And then uh, after he deleted the Mount Rushmore or tweet, he changed the location in his profile to almost there. And the Bucks changed the location in their profile to there. So we have almost there and there. So a lot of hinting going around. Almost um, there. Sorry, Star Wars reference. <laughs> um, the other thing, to Jared, to your point of them hopefully not signing everybody, I always think back to everybody online who makes fun of Jericho for his interview towards the start of AEW where he says AEW is not going to sign every single person that gets released from WWE. And the meme is always that they play that clip and then they show the all elite pictures of Paul White and Mark Henry and Christian Cage and everybody else that's signed from WWE since then. But here's the thing. I guarantee you, Chris Jericho, when he said that comment, did not think that the WWE would release the amount of talent that they did and have and probably still will. So you can't really blame Jericho for that because he had no idea that WWE was just going to release a whole bunch of talented people and creative people that could just be scooped up by AEW. So there is that. Obviously, there are some people that are going or have gone to Impact or Ring of Honor or other places, but... um. If they can find the time and the room for everybody, I say bring it on, as far as I'm concerned. And what Jericho said was technically true, because there's a lot of guys who got released from WWE who did not get signed by AEW. Braun Strowman comes to mind. Yep, that's really all I I I had to add. Yeah, I think we've covered everything without me asking for final thoughts, but obviously... I would venture to say all, all of us can agree this was a thumbs up show, two thumbs up, ten thumbs up if we had them. Um, probably, definitely, I would say AEW's best pay-per-view. I know it was their best pay-per-view for buys. Um, I think that was released today or yesterday. I don't have the numbers, but I know they did well. Um, yeah, it's. It, it, let, I'll, I'll say this. Obviously, we're diehards and we can appreciate the fun and everything. But if you have done enough to convert my wife to be interested, not only does she wish she would have gone to the pay-per-view, but now she wants to start watching Dynamite. 
So um, they're doing something right. Yeah, agreed. Um, like I said, my brother that I went to Dynamite with, he said he was uh, practically sold on the pay-per-view just from that show and that it had that, I guess, party atmosphere, you know, rock star atmosphere, you might say. So this is definitely, at the very least, an interesting time to be a wrestling fan. And I know I texted you off, Mike, there, uh, Josh, uh, Jared, I don't know if you know, maybe, maybe went over it before the show, but uh, technically this week, Dynamite actually beat Raw in the 18 to 49 demographic. So uh, that's something I think people weren't expecting to happen for quite some time. Now, obviously, it could go back to normal next week. This was coming off a of pay-per-view. Tradition usually shows that the show that directly follows a pay-per-view tends to get a bump in viewership. But it just it shows that AW is overall attracting a younger audience because you look at those numbers and they had effectively the same amount of 18 to 49 viewers as Raw did, even though they had a lower total viewer count. So that means that the highest demographic or the biggest demographic of people watching AEW fit into that 18 to 49 category, whereas the biggest demo of people who watch WWE are people over 50, which none of us have hit yet. So think about that for a minute. People older than us, uh, that's the big demographic for WWE right now. So I think the landscape's definitely starting to change. Yeah, definitely. Definitely can agree with that. Jared, anything to add? Um, no, not much else that I said already. Just just fun. Just plain fun. I had a really good time watching this show. Concur. I concur with that. But um, not that I want to give WWE an excuse, but Monday was also Labor Day. But that just means on the holiday, nobody's watching the show. But um, the other Mondays, I don't watch the show either. So there's that. So I'm just going to give AEW the win and, and, you know, pretend like a holiday had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. So that being said, next week we will reconvene and talk more about the wrestle and probably get into more of our normal discussion on news. I thought a all out was more of the talking point tonight. So I want to make wanted to make sure we address that. So anyway. Until we meet again, thank you once again for downloading, listening, and subscribing, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast fix to hear the latest discussion from the Wrestling Brethren. You can visit us at TWBpodcast.com for posts and episodes. Visit the mothership, if you will, at BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, home of the Behind the Squared Circle podcast network. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and comments at Twitter at TWBPshow, on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Behind the Squared Circle, and on Instagram at The Wrestling Brethren. You can follow Jared on Twitter at Jared Aubrey 5150 and you can follow Josh at Southpaw Josh. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you again soon with more from the Wrestling Brethren.